stones and noting birds, and of the pleasures in simple exhaustion. The boy's expression is currently thin and fierce. At a distance, it isn't easy to judge if this comes from effort or emotion. He reaches the opposite fence, swings himself over easily, fluidly, fast. His body is made of long, hard balances and strengths which take constant practice. There are days when he stumbles breaks things, fails. Today, though, he is neck and neck with his own growth. Tomorrow it will probably beat him again, muffle him up in clumsiness. In the end, he will be bobbing head and shoulders above in almost any group, will feel his height as a responsibility, a potential trap. He is already beginning to know this, but the knowledge is still light, and he has taken to the pleasures of being visible, selected, dominant. His hair also draws the eye. Fair, currently close to white at its tips, a salt white that deepens into honey against his scalp, his skin. He is not unattractive, but will always assume he is simply passable, scraping by. This will often seem charming. He takes the only possible track onwards, a snug route between high blackthorn hedges, like the start of a maze. He enjoys being hidden in the din of bees, the scuffles of dunnocks and wrens, of fugitive lives. His feet run in the centre of the path where the cropped turf dips as if it were being bowed, stretched down beneath his special weight. Trees reach across and shadow him. With the green below and the green above, he could be in a tunnel, could be bulleting into the secret of something, unlocking it, and the tunnel leads down, tilts headlong down, until it balks at the cliff's edge and flexes into a sudden turn, then tacks back and forth across the face of a sharp descent, plunging on in a kind of crouch, huddling as far as it can from the threat of winds and the bright seas watching. The tunnel is no longer constant from here on. The boy sometimes breaks out across tawny exposures of stone, lopes beside tumbled drops and distances, and the wide blare of sea light. Sometimes the branches clasp in over him again with a thick press of humid air, cobwebs, bramble tears. They touch him like music, stroke and cling and prick. Inside, he is mostly filled with music. Seems to himself that he shudders and glows with it, with so many beautiful details, names and lyrics. Sleeve notes, playlists, artwork, mystically important anecdotes. On his best days, he is racked with music to the point of helpless smiling. Only once, the boy pauses in the crook of a naked turn, is shaken by his own breath, folds over to touch his knees, and stares at the howling, unsteadying blue of water. He feels its breath rise and brush him, sees the white gnaw and fumble of it against rocks and the seam where it fits under the sky. The blue stares back. Bullets clear through him and out the other side. The boy feels it does not care about him. There's only a terrible, hungry dazzle. And then his intentions take him again. Harry and press, and the grass underfoot steepens, shears away deep into a final slither, an excuse to be out of control before he reaches the brink the metal post, the first of the fixed ropes. He almost grins. Descending is difficult,
he has learned it is much easier to climb. Here, he can't see where his toes kick in and bounce, has to control his body as it swings, one line dropping to another from post to post, threading the twists of the route and winding him lower. He bears his own weight safe, hands clever round the fat, stiff strands. He likes the effort, sweat, wishes it were more, for torn hands and bleeding, for the test of a fall. Below him is the pot, a tiny cove pocketed in behind a high containing wall and floored with a fawny grey chaos of rocks. The boy makes his last spring, looses the rope and lets his feet land with a grinding clack amongst the wreckage and cold echoes. There is a sense here of something temporarily absent, a power that will return and overwhelm. The boy feels his shins tickle with its thrill and wishes...